Hey, this is David Dearman. I'm the pastor at Memphis Tabernacle, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope that this message inspires you and builds your faith. I hope that it gives you fresh insight and strength to see God move in your life. Enjoy the message. Starting a brand new series today called I Believe. I believe we're headed into summer. <laughs> By the way, Tiffany, with all those temperatures, summer didn't even start yet. <laughs> it's starting on Tuesday. So uh, I know that uh, we had uh, finished, we were at a conference, and then we uh, came back and had vacation. You know, we had a family vacation, and then I was here, we were here last Sunday, but I didn't speak last Sunday. But uh, I was at home, and I have an office at home as well, so I was working out of my office at home on Wednesday, and I was preparing, uh, you know, for, for this message and, and what's coming up in the future. And, uh, and my daughter, you know, uh, Zoe, she's eight years old, and she, she came up and said, Daddy, I need a job. And I said, well, you're eight. Um, you know, I'm, I appreciate the response. But she goes, I want to work for you. I want to be your assistant. And I said, oh, okay, you, you, you can be my assistant. You know, why don't you go help mom, you know, with, with something. She said, <laughs> not that mom doesn't have a life or doesn't have anything going on, but I'm just saying I was busy at the time, okay? So I closed my door, and she said, no, I want to really be your assistant. I want you to get me a desk. I want you to get me some paperwork. I need a computer. I need, so she eventually, I don't know how she'd call the family into attention, and they got her, you know, pulled a desk down from upstairs and brought it right outside of where my office is, and she sat down with a chair. I want a desk. I want a chair. And she got all, she got all her paperwork. She grabbed an old computer and put it on the desk and opened it up. And she said, okay, I'm ready. I'm going to start scheduling your appointments. I'm going to start. She's going over all this. And I said, well, she goes, dad, I need something to do. Can you give me something to do? You know, I'm trying to just think, gosh, what, what can I ever do? I, I, like, I, I want to be sensitive here to her, her work ethic. So, so I came up, I said, well, baby, and I looked down at my trash, and my trash was overflowing that I, you know, I said, well, hey, would you empty my trash? And she goes, oh, um, I'm not your cleaner. <laughs> so, so, well, okay, uh, I guess so. Anyway, we're having a, we're having a, we're starting the summer right, and, uh, and we're getting going, so pray for me uh, and my assistant, pray for me and my assistant, but uh, hey, this week... Uh, we are starting a brand new series called I Believe, I Believe. Let me tell you why it's really, really, really important. Why is this relevant? I don't want to just uh, teach a message or preach a message just so you can hear me preach a message. There's so many messages out there. I want to know that this is a word from God, that God's saying something to us and to our church. People don't need information. People need revelation. People need transformation. And so I always ask the Lord, I'd, I'll tell you what I'd rather, if I don't have something from the Lord, I'd rather just sit at the keyboard and let's just worship. But I know that God has this. He's been uh, leading me and directing me on this for several months now, really. But right now where we are in our world, let me tell you why this is so important. The state of our world, and you know it, there's this thing called the great falling away. In fact, the Bible said it in the book of First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will come, that day will not come. It's talking about the coming of the Lord, will not come unless the falling away, that's the word apostasy. The falling away comes first. Many people, I mean in unbelievable numbers, I've never seen in all of my life, I've been a believer most as far as I can remember. And I've never seen so many people walk away from Jesus. I've never seen so many people deny their faith. I've never seen, I mean, leaders, people that you respect, people that are solid, people that you follow and have walked away from the Lord, walked away from the church, walked away from their faith. There's the whole, over the last two or three years, deconstruction that goes on where people are deconstructing their own faith. You know, they, they've had some solid, solitude time with COVID, and they're sitting there, and, and now they're, they're able to hear all the different philosophies and different, different they're deconstructing their church, their, their own faith, they're deconstructing their own social groups, they're deconstructing the, the, the church and what they believe. You know, you hear the, someone coined the phrase, the great resignation, the great resignation in the workplace that you see CEOs and founders of companies and leaders that are stepping down from their positions because they're saying, I just, I'm going to go find something easier. I'm going to go find something better. I don't even know if I believe. I don't know. I don't even like what I'm doing and I didn't even realize it. People in the workplace are dropping in the millions a month that are dropping their jobs, leaving their jobs and, and just laying it all, even the dropping their retirements. 
the great resignation. Some things we know do need to be reevaluated, of course. Of course we need to stop and say, uh, Lord, is this what you're leading me to and, and direct our attention to those things? I'm not saying that we should just put our head down and not think. But we can see people are discouraged. People are, are, are overwhelmed by the amount of information and things that are going on, things inside of them, trauma that's gone on in their lives, that they've just tried to get through this last season, and now that their head is above water and they've stepped into a new season, they're wondering, now, what, what, what's next? I'm not even prepared for what's next. On a good note, many people are coming to Christ. Amen. Praise the Lord. People are coming to Christ. But the purpose of this series is to lay a foundation of what we believe. It's to lay a foundation of what we believe. We just sang about I couldn't think of a more perfect song. I didn't even know they were singing that song uh, for the thank you choir, thank you uh, worship team. First uh, Corinthians 3, yeah, let's thank them today. First Corinthians 3:11 says this, "For no other foundation can anyone lay except which is Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ." And so I want to lay a foundation upon Jesus Christ and upon His word. I want to lay a foundation over the next few weeks. Matthew chapter 28. You know what Jesus said right before he left? He said, I'm charging you, the disciples, not just those 12, but I'm, uh, but I'm charging you all, those 11 or whoever was with him right there. But he said, I'm charging you all, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He said, but make disciples. Make disciples. Don't just get people to pray a little prayer, but make disciples. And he said, primarily, there's two things, baptizing them and teaching them. He said, baptizing them and teaching them to obey, not just teaching them to learn. It's the difference between uh, learning-based discipleship, knowledge-based discipleship, and obedience-based discipleship. Do you know he didn't just tell ministers to make disciples? He told us to make disciples. Well, there's so many people that would disqualify themselves right away, whether you've been a believer for a long time or whether you've been a believer for a week. You disqualify yourself and say, I don't know how to make disciples. In fact, if they followed me, I'd feel bad for them. <laughs> no, what I want to do is I want to lay a foundation of what we believe, and I want to give you, we're going to do it in 10, 10 lessons, okay, of what you believe, of focus on the main things, and we're going to lay these things out, and I want to give you the tools to be able to make disciples. I want to make disciples to make disciples. Give you the tools, the foundational tools. And let me tell you what it's not based on. It's not based on, well, what I believe is, well, what? No, we're going to go back to the Word. We're going to go back to the Bible, and we're going to lay the foundation. So if you just came to the Lord, it's a good time for you to dig in. If you've been a believer for 20, 30, 50 years, it's a good time to dig in. Why? Because foundational things during times like we have right now, the wind and the waves and all the things with our culture and our society, Foundation is always good to go back to. Somebody say amen today. So we're going to continue uh, to go back over this. Stick with us on this summer series. Um, it's going to strengthen your faith. It's going to strengthen you as a witness. And we're going to do it in, in the Catholic Church. You know, they would have what's catechism. It's kind of a question and answer type base. There's a bunch of questions that I handed out, not because I don't know the answer, but because you want to ask those questions and look right in the scripture and find the answers of those questions, okay? So I believe that this is going to help you. Today we're talking about sin and salvation, sin and salvation. The word sin, a simple definition, is to miss the mark, to miss the mark. It could be just through a transgression or it could be through trespassing like like stepping over the line on something, or it could be iniquity. That's something that's deeper, wickedness on the inside, things that have been passed down generationally. We all know what missing the mark is. It means I just missed it. But every one of us uh, could relate to someone making a, a wrong decision and it could affect the rest of their life. Making a wrong decision and it could affect their eternity. Whether it just be that they drank and they went out and drove and they you know, killed somebody and they, uh, they have to suffer for the agony of that, maybe imprisonment, maybe taking away uh, a lot of their privileges for life and they just say, I just did it one time, I don't know. Or they live a lifestyle of that. We know that missing the mark sin can create something that's bad. Uh, the word salvation throughout the word, uh, throughout the word, the word salvation just brings it back down, just means to save 
uh, but also to make whole, to rescue from danger. And this is my favorite definition of it, it or you know, part of it, is to make safe and sound. To make safe and sound. So sin is something that we miss the mark and we suffer the results of that. And then there's salvation, that God makes things safe and sound and brings us back home. The main thing, the main point, if there's one point for you to catch today, it's this, that we're, we were sinners, but now we're saved by grace. We were sinners, but now we're saved by grace. I know that some people say, I'm just an old sinner, saved by grace. Well, you may be old. <laughs> you maybe used to be a sinner, but if you're saved, you're not a sinner anymore. You were a sinner, but now you're saved by grace. So we're going to talk about how God made things perfect. Satan tempted. Man, uh, man sinned. God sent Jesus, and he gave us new life. Okay, so I'm going to give you these points. Number one is this, and just follow along. I'd love for you to take some notes that are by, at least answer those questions today, and I believe that it's going to help you, and then we'll have these available on uh, podcasts and on YouTube as well for you to go back over because I think it's a great way to build foundation in your own heart as you do that with others. Okay, let's start with creation. God created a perfect world. We, we read, and I'm, I'm just going to read you these scriptures. You don't have to turn to all of them, as I'm sure you won't. Even electronic Bible will probably throw you off. But just look at at least the screens on this. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, quote it with me, God created the heavens and the earth. And then over in the book of Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, it says, For by him, Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Let me ask you this very first question. See, people say, well, why does God get to make the rules? <laughs> because he created everything. <laughs> Last week, we went to the new Jurassic Park movie. And, uh, uh, you know, the Jurassic Park, um, the very first Jurassic Park, you remember with, um, um, who was, John Hammond? John, John, John Hammond, it was his world, the original Jurassic Park. And remember, he came and said, I created this whole theme park with real this and that. And he put you in, and you'd, you'd go through, and it was supposed to be safe. And he'd make the rules and say, here's when the electronic fences, and here's when the person. Nobody looks at him and says, well, why are you making the rules? Well, no, it's his park. He created it. Now, unfortunately, it was jacked up and <laughs> messed people up and all those things. But God created a perfect world. And so God came up with how this perfect world was going to run. Throughout Genesis, we see that God creates something. He creates the heavens and the earth, and then he stops and evaluates it, and he says it's good. And then he creates the sun and the moon and the stars. He says it's good. He divides the waters from the earth, and he says it's good. He creates the, uh, the sea animals, and he says it's good. He creates the land animals, and he says it's good. And he goes on and says it's good until one time he came and he said it's not good. And the very first it's not good was it's not good for man to be alone. I think my mom's told me that in my life. It ain't good to leave men alone. Yeah. Ain't getting no pleasure. But he says, no, I think it was for different reasons. But he says, it's not good to leave man alone, for man to be alone. So he created him a helpmate, created him a woman. So man and woman were on the earth in this perfect, beautiful Garden of Eden and they were in fellowship with God. Man was created to be in fellowship in the presence of God in this perfect earth. This is the way that God created it to be. He didn't create things to, to mess up and to be in chaotic. He created things, man and woman, to be in fellowship with them. And you see, this is the primary story of the Bible. This is not only the Genesis story of the Bible, but even when Jesus came and died, this is what God created man for, to be in fellowship and relationship with man. Now, the next thing, everything was created according to its kind. This is where evolution and discussions will get in with this, and I want to point out a few things with this. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 21, it says, God created the great sea creatures, every living thing that moves, which abound... Um, which the waters abounded according to their kind. Can you say according to their kind? They had a certain species. There was a certain um, breed, a certain type of animal or mammal that was created, but it was according to their kind. Every winged bird, say it with me, according to their kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the seas. Uh, the birds multiply. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day, and God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures, say it with me, according to their kind. 
according to their kind. It says, and cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth, each, say it with me, according to their kind. God just wasn't wasting space here in the Bible. He was saying, I'm creating categories and, uh, of, 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 of animals and of life here on earth according to their kind. You even see it with plants, according to their kind. There's certain things that just flow together. It says, and it was so, and God made the beasts of the earth according to their kind, cattle according to their kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to their kind. So saw, God saw that it was good. Each animal uh, grouping, each animal and species had a grouping, a classification that worked together. So what about evolution? Well, there is evolution, but there's not evolution outside of according to its kind. In other words, we, we have a dog, and our dog's a big dog. When people see our dog, boo, boo, but he'll come up. If he could hug you, he'd walk up and go, whoo, give me a hug. Like he's just big, sweet dog. He's a Bernie Doodle, Bernie Doodle. His name's Dewey Finn, Dewey Finn. And uh, Dew, Dewey Finn is a Bernie Doodle. He's half Bernie's mountain dog and half giant poodle, Okay. But he's half and half. Now, that's evolution in a sense. That's something that evolved between these two animals, right? I wasn't there when it evolved, but we did get the dog, okay? We did purchase the dog. But notice that that was within the dog breed. That was within the dog breed. I don't go down and say, you know what I want? I want half dolphin and half cat. That's what I want. I want a half dolphin. I don't care if you put a dolphin and a cat in the same room and gave them chocolates and roses and all those things at the right time. It ain't going to happen. Why? Because you don't cross breed over the kind. God's kept things within the species of animals. We all understand that. Okay. And so this is what people will try to teach. Well, things have evolved. Well, but they, they evolved within the class that God created it. God created order. God created order. Well, then we come to man. What about man? Well, man's not an animal. Some people say he, he, they are and we are, but he's not an animal. We see down in verse 26 of Genesis, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let me ask you, was, and that's a question, whose image and likeness was man created in? Now, I didn't write that. I'm not saying that man's a god, I'm not saying that man's deity. I'm not saying that man, you know, and you're saying, what, what, am I, what are you teaching here? No, I'm just reading the Bible. That the God created all these animals and these things according to their kind, and then God said, let's create man according to our kind. Let's, let's make man in our image and according to our likeness, right? He says it here. And he says, uh, not an animal. Why? So that man can have fellowship. Not so that man can ever usurp himself over God. No, there was an order. There was a man is always under God, Okay. Uh, were animals created in the image and likeness of God? No. So man didn't come from animals. Man, man came from God. We were created in the image and likeness of God. And when people try to come against image bearers, that's who's an image bearer in here? Yeah. When people try to come against you, it's because the enemy can't get to God, so he's getting to his image. He's getting to, you know, it's like the high school girl that she she's like, ah, all year long she's fighting, and then she's like, I'm going to take that yearbook, and I'm going to cross out that yearbook and draw a beard on her and do all this kind of stuff. Why? She can't get to her, but she's trying to get to her image. Satan hates you because you're an image bearer. Yeah, you were created in the image and likeness of God, and so... Uh, why was that? So that we can fellowship with God. We're not animals. Genesis 2.7 says, The Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Let me ask you, where did our bodies come from? Just look at, no, 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 no. Don't just say it really, oh, God, Holy Spirit. No, no, no. Look at, look at the verse. We're just looking at the verse. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just, look at the verse. It says, uh, God formed man of the dust of the ground. Where did our bodies come from? Our bodies came from the dust of the ground. Our bodies are sustained by the dirt in the ground. And when our bodies die, our bodies will go back to the dirt in the ground, the dust in the ground. Okay? Uh, then it says, and God breathed into man. It says, and God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Let me ask you, when did man become a living being? People say, we're all just dirt. No, our bodies are dirt, 
But when did man become a living being? When God breathed spirit into him. When God breathed life into him. So our life came from God. Our, our spirit came from God. And our spirit was originated from God. Our spirit is sustained by God. And, and when we all pass from this life, our spirit will go back to God. Same way as our bodies. Right? It originated, it's sustained, and it'll go back into wh- from, which, from whence it came. Okay, so we are spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body. Man was created in the image of God and uh, to fellowship with God, spirit to spirit. Number two. Number two, God gave man a choice. God gave man a choice. He didn't create us as robots. He didn't pre-program us and say, this is the way you're going to be, and I'm going to have a perfect world because that's how I programmed you. No, God gave man a choice. He didn't create us as robots. He created us as sons and daughters. Now, how many of you know if you've ever had children that start to grow up, they're not perfect? Sorry, was that just me? Mine are nearly perfect. And I'm sure so are are yours. Genesis 2.16 says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Somebody say, Freely eat. Somebody says, when are we going to freely eat and get out of here right now? No, no, no. This was in the garden. Okay. You may freely eat. That was a, more, that was a choice. He said, you can choose whatever you have. You, you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. That was the command. And he says, for in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. That was the consequence. So he gave a choice. He gave a command. And then he gave a consequence. God blessed man with all of the trees. So let me ask you, how many command, commandments here in this verse, did he give man? How many? He gave him one. Yeah. And uh, um, uh, what was the command? That in the day you eat of this tree, you can eat of all the trees, but the day you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. Now, the word surely die in the Hebrew is the word muth, muth. It's like saying, it's really die, die. He was saying two deaths. Because some people wonder, well, wait, when they ate of it, they didn't drop, like, like they ate of it and they were like, Ugh. and they fell down and they died. No, no, no. They ate of it and they kept living. What happened? Well, part of them kept living. Part of them kept living, the, the, but, but part of them died right away. They died spiritually and eventually death would go into motion physically. So we would say the day you eat of it, dying, you shall die. Dying right then, you shall die. Um, so it says, uh, um, that's the consequences, okay? So that's number two. Number three, Satan tempted man. Satan tempted man. In Genesis chapter three, it says, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. By the way, in the book of, someone says, well, that says the serpent. It didn't say the devil. Well, in Revelation, it says that the devil, that serpent of old, okay? So the devil is the serpent. But he says, Satan was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you could just hear his tone of voice, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. See, if Satan has a superpower, it's not might and strength, it's tricks. If Satan has a superpower that he can, you say, well, Satan made me do it. No, Satan tricked you. He, the Bible says many times that he tricks you, he deceives you, that's who he is. And he accuses you after, he, after you fall and fell for the trick, then he gets on and starts accusing you. Uh, Genesis, then verses verse 4, it says, The serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for the Lord knows, notice, you will not surely die, for the Lord knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, you'll be like God knowing good and evil. Let me ask you, why did the serpent try to get Eve to question God? Because she wanted to make uh, mankind disobey God, which would get man and woman out of alignment with the fellowship of God. Okay, we know that. So, but I want you to notice how he tricked her. He got their focus away from God's word to what God knows. He got them to focus on what God knows and not what God said. This is actually where the extreme version of the sovereignty of God uh, can come in, where people will just come in and say, well, I know what the Bible says, but God knows. As if God, God knows something way better than his word. We can't really depend on his word. But whatever, you know, whatever God, whatever God, God must know because he has a, uh, he has a, 
a certain purpose for not keeping his word here. And he's trying to teach you something through this. And See, the enemy still does it today because we could say, you know, that he keeps his word. Well, he keeps his word with most people, 95% of his people. But the problem is, is if you believe that lie that he keeps his word with 95% of the people, we'll always put ourselves in the 5%. I guess it won't be me. See, that's how the enemy tricks you is he tries to get you over into what God knows, which we can't really understand. That's what people would think. And get away from what God says. If she would just stick with what God says, I think we'd all be in a better place. I say she, that was he too. Because my next question's coming up. So um, notice, always stick with what God said, his word. Somebody say amen. Always stick with what God's word says, not with what you think God may know or be doing. Right? When, when the enemy tried to deceive Jesus, he always came back to the word. He said, it is written. It is written. It is written. And then the Bible says that Satan left for a better time. Like, it's not a good time to tempt Jesus because he's speaking the word. Stay with the word. Number four. Number four. Man's sin brought death. Man's sin brought death. Genesis chapter 3 verse 6 says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good, it was pleasant to the eye, it was desirable to make one wise... She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Let me ask you a question. Where was Adam? With her. Yeah, the, all the women say, with her. Because I know that some people can, can say, well, she was deceived, and, and like, well, her husband, he's like, I don't really know what's going on. And she hands him a, a, a pear, and he eats it, and, he, and the whole world goes down. No, no, no. He was right there with her. He was right there with her. Uh, then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and hid themselves. Let me ask you, what happened after they ate, th- they ate this forbidden fruit? What, what, what actually happened? I know that they died. Something happened. But what happened after they ate? Well, instant spiritual death occurred. But what happened is they became aware of their nakedness. They, gave, they became self-aware. They became insecure. Right? What happens after you sin? Shame insecurity, and, and then it, it eventually goes into you start covering up, right? And they started covering up. They started covering up portions, private parts of their body, right, that they were just free-flowing before, okay? They started covering up. Sin came into self-awareness, came into cover-up. I want you to understand when you, when you hear death, the word death, death doesn't mean cease to exist. Death means separation from life. Death doesn't mean stop existing. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You're still alive. You're just not here in this body. When they something died, it was just there was a separation from the life in God. So something had to, something died there. Sin brought death. Now, in Genesis chapter 3 verse 8, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, This was after they had sinned, and it says, And Adam and Eve hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God walking in the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. naked. And he said, Who told you you were naked? And he said, "Uh, Have you eaten from the tree? Let me ask you a question. What did Adam and Eve do when they heard the Lord God coming to them? They hid. They covered up themselves. They hid uh, themselves. Self-awareness, separation. How did God respond after Adam and Eve sinned? What did God do after Adam and Eve sinned? He searched for them. I think that still says it today. When we're going through situations in our life, God will continue to search for you. God will continue to go after you. You think that you're trying to find God? Let me tell you, more so, he's trying to find you. Just quit hiding. Sin brings death. Sin, the word sin is hamartia. Again, it just means miss the mark. That's one definition of it. Or failure to hit a target. If you're going to try to hit the bullseye and you miss it, you sinned. That's what, that's, what, that's what the picture of sin would be. Trespass is just a step over the line. In the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, it says this. You he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Notice trespasses is stepping over the line. You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked Notice this, according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Let me ask you this question. When we step out of God's will, who are we following? 
We just say, well, I don't know if I'm going to follow the Lord. No, you're going to follow somebody. But I want you to notice, when you step out of the will of the Lord, you're following the course of the world, and you're following a different prince. That's not the prince of peace. It's the prince of the power of the air. Romans 3.23. Let's go there. It says, for all have sinned. Read it with me. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Let me ask you this question. How many people have sinned and missed the mark? I don't just mean in here. How many people in the world have missed the mark? Are there any perfect people? Well, no. Romans 3.10 says there's no one righteous, no, not one. So anyone who thinks they're righteous, maybe their self-righteousness and that pride is actually sin. (laughs) Right? One of the best ways to get to salvation is to admit that you have sinned and that you've missed the mark. Romans 6.23 says for the wages of sin, if you want to read it with me, you can. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. What are the wages or the penalty for sin? Death. When you work at the end of the week, you get a wage. When you commit crime, you got to do the time, right? right? You are, there's a penalty for actions, right? There's a penalty for sin. After this life, let's talk about afterlife. People don't want to talk about that very much. Or they come up with these hypotheses, and I think it's a big risk. But uh, Hebrews 9.27 says, As it is appointed unto man once to die, or to die once, but after this the judgment. Let me ask you a question. What happens after you die? Is that for all of us or some of us? All of us. Okay. We all, is it a big party? I'm just going to party, smoke weed, drink, sex, drugs, and rock and roll in hell. No, is that going to happen? No, no, no. Judgment is going to happen. All of us. Every one of us. They'll be, we'll have to... Be judged, right, Whether we're, how we're going to spend eternity. Now, what does eternal judgment look like? It's going to be a big party? Well, what is it? Well, it, it could be if you're righteous. If not, you're in trouble. If not, let me just read you two verses on that. Matthew 25, 41, it says, Jesus said, Then they will say to those on the left, Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire. Man, the other day I was, I was trying to cook. And I burned myself. Oh, it was, an, it was a burn that hurt for hours. Notice this. Everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. By the way, uh, hell and eternal judgment wasn't prepared for man. God didn't create that to, to, to hurt man. He created it for the devil and his angels. And then Revelation 21, 8, the Bible says out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let everything be established. I just at least want to give you a couple of scriptures. Revelation 21, 8, though there's many, many scriptures on hell. It says, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, um, watch out playing with Harry Potter, uh, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their place in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death, which is the second death, okay? So what's the good news? Well, number five, the good news is that God sent Jesus to save us. Everybody go, whoo, amen, yeah. God sent Jesus to save us. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 says this. Indeed under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. Say blood. Somebody was telling me one day, I was talking about blood and under the blood. And they're like, we don't really understand. People don't get blood. That's not really secret sensitive. And I'm like, well, if you don't get blood, you're going to (laughs) get. We need the blood. He says, for without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. What had to happen in order to remove sin? Blood had to be shed. Blood had to be shed. And so what happened? Well, there was animal sacrifice that was kind of a foreshadow of Jesus sacrificing because he became the Lamb of God eventually. But all these animals were sacrificed. I mean, like a, some would describe it as a bloodbath. But it says in Hebrews 10.4, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. Let me ask you the question. Can the blood of bulls and goats take away people's sin? Yeah, and some, some people still sacrifice those things. Some people still self-sacrifice. Some people still try to, try to take a sacrifice on themselves. None of that can take away sin. Can't take away sin. John chapter 1 verse 29. It, this is John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus. He said, the next day, John saw Jesus coming to him and he said, behold, the Lamb, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin. By the way, uh, or, or let me ask you the question, how did John the Baptist describe Jesus? As a lamb. As the sacrifice. This was, this was before, you know, he ever came into ministry. But he was the Lamb of God. And by the way, do you know what day he was sacrificed on? The Passover. 
Passover, the day that lambs would come and be, uh, it was the, uh, symbolizing the Passover of the Exodus to where they put the blood over the doorpost and the death angel came by and if they had the blood over the doorpost, the angel would pass over and no harm would come to that household. Let me tell you, that's the very day that Jesus died on Passover. Um, so Isaiah chapter 53, we know that the prophet told about Jesus' death and it's one of the best um, story, one of the best descriptions It says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace, he says, and with his wounds were healed. And then it goes on to say in verse 6, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of his all. Let me ask you, why was he pierced? He was pierced because we missed the mark. He was pierced because he took the price for us making, messing up our lives, whether it be one action or whether it be a million actions. It was we did not follow Jesus. We missed the mark, and so he was pierced. He was crushed. What is crushed? Well, it's bruised. It's, it's a break into pieces. Jesus was broken to pieces for our iniquity. Iniquity would be something deeper. It would be wickedness. It would be something that even passed down from generations, the iniquity. But what happened? Jesus was crushed for our iniquity. And then what did God lay upon Jesus? The iniquity of us all. The iniquity of us all. Let me ask you this. What did Jesus' blood do for the following verses? I'm just going to read the verse, and I want you to shout out what it was, okay, uh, in an orderly manner. Um, Romans chapter 5, verse 9. What did Jesus' blood, why is Jesus' blood important? What did it do? The Bible says, much more than, in Romans 5, 9, much more than having been justified by the blood. What did it do? Say justified. Yeah. Somebody said the definition of justified is justified did nothing wrong. Okay. Um, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. What did the blood do? Redemption. He bought you back. Right? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far off were brought near to the blood. What is it? You're back in fellowship with God. 1 John 1 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. What did he do? He washed all your sin away. How many aren't ashamed of the blood anymore? Yeah. How many would say we should be, keep talking about the blood? Yeah. Revelation 1.5 says, to him who loved us and washed us from our own sin. What does the blood do? It washes you white and clean, right? So let me ask you, what about the cross? Why is the cross so important? Well, from these verses, I want you to just tell me what, what the cross is or why it's so important. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What did the cross do? It provided righteousness. How many are righteous in here? How many are because it's because of you? No, no, no. It's all because of the cross. It's all because of what Jesus did. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Do you know in the Old Testament, there was all these blessings written for people who kept followed the Lord, and there's all these curses that were written for those who didn't. It says Christ redeemed us from all the curses. And you know what? The, the big three, if you had to sum them into three, it was poverty, it was sickness, and it was spiritual death. I mean, if you just summed all the curses, it was poverty, it was sickness. I'm not talking about just not having money. I'm talking about a spirit of poverty, sickness, and spiritual death. He said he's redeemed us from the curse of the law. So we don't have to live under the curse anymore. Somebody say amen. amen. All right. Um, in uh, 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his own body on a tree that we having died to sin might live for righteousness by whose stripes we were healed. What did he do on the cross? He took our sins and he took our sicknesses. He took our sins and he took our sicknesses. How did the resurrection, why is the resurrection so important? The resurrection of Jesus, how does it affect our lives? Well, two verses. Romans 4.25 says, He was delivered up because of our offenses and he was raised because of our justification. Can you just say justification? Yeah. He was raised up so that we can be justified in his sight. Ephesians 2 Four through six says, God who is rich in mercy because of his great love, he made us alive together, he raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. Why was it important for Jesus to be raised up? Because if he wouldn't be raised up, you couldn't be raised up. And you know where we're seated spiritually? We're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus at the right hand of the Father, that above all the enemy, principalities, powers, He's exalted Jesus, and we know where we are. We're in Jesus. We're in Jesus. This is a picture of salvation. It's not just, oh, I get a pass from hell. 
No, it's that we're seated in a new place. We've been repositioned. We deserve eternal damnation, but God's given us eternal life in Jesus. Amen? <laughs> and then God, Jesus gave us a new heart. Jesus gave us a new heart. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, it says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. Notice he didn't just clean up the heart. No, he, took, he, he gave you a brand new one. He says, and I will take the heart of stone. What is that, a hard heart? And out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I remember I knew a guy in California who was raised in, uh, around the mafia and raised around um, some real hard, hard gangs, and he was a leader. And he had, he w- wouldn't talk about it, but he had taken the life of many, many, many people, was hard life of crime. And I remember Jesus got a hold of him when he was in about his 60s. And every time you talked about Jesus, he would just break into tears. You'd say, hey, Jesus. And he'd go, oh, my Jesus. Oh, my Jesus. And you'd say, Frank, Frank, just tell us what the Lord's done. You know, wouldn't even want to say the Lord or he couldn't talk, you know. Just tell us what the Lord did. Oh, my Jesus, he took away all of my sin. He, he went and started uh, a church in, the, in prison and started a church outside of prison and leads all these people to the Lord. Why? Because he took out his heart of stone, hard-hearted, and he gave him a heart of flesh. That's what, that's what the Lord said that he would do. Um, uh, not only forgiveness, but a new heart. John 3.3, 3, uh, Jesus answered and said, I say to you, unless one is born again, you can't, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Let me ask you, what must happen in order for someone to enter the kingdom of God? Come on, just say it. What must happen in order for you to see the kingdom of God? You must be born again. That's born of the water, your mother's womb. You have to be born physically. Demons can't be born again. Angels can't be born again. Right? You have to be born physically. And then born again is also born spiritually. So born again is physically and spiritually. Jesus said the water and the blood, right? Both of them, or the water and the spirit. So what happens after we're born again? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. What happens after we're born again? We're brand new. We're a new creation. What happens after we're born again? John 1, 12 says, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. What happens after we're born again? We, we can call ourselves the children of God. Right? You can just say, I'm in Christ. What's your last name? Christ Jesus. I'm in Christ Jesus. I'm in Christ Jesus. So I have the right in the spirit. I'm the, I'm Jesus, my big brother. Father God is my father. He's the firstborn of many creation. And I'm second in there somewhere. Third, fourth, fifth. I'm somewhere in there. I'm in the family of God. I'm the ch- child of God. I have a right to be a child of God. 1 Peter 2.23 Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and abiding word of God. You all know if you've ever planted anything before, it's important for you to have not just things that have the expiration dates on them or eat things with expiration dates on them. We were born of non-perishable seed. In other words, our spirit does not have an expiration date. I I think I should have got a better... uh, Amen or excitement on that. I said our spirit does not have an expiration date. Yeah. Amen. First John 3, 9 says no one born can make a practice of sinning. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. Do you know one of the benefits of being born again is you can't keep sinning? And it's not a rule. It's a law in your heart. If, you're, if you do sin, you won't be happy. <laughs> you won't be happy about it, right? You're going to be a, you're going to be a tormented sinner. Why? Because Jesus lives on the inside. Light lives on the inside. So you won't make a practice of sinning. 1 John 5, 4 says, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. What's another benefit of being born again? Overcome. We're overcomers, more than conquerors. 1 John 4, 7 says, beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. And everyone who loves has been born of God. What is another benefit of being born again? We love Right? I don't know why I love you, and I don't know why you love me, but I do. Even when you talk bad, even when you say something or do me under or do me dirty or do me wrong, what happens? What do you say? What's your response? I love you. Why? Because I got Jesus on the inside. I've been born again. Yeah. And then number seven, last of all, don't check out on this. This is the, this is the best one. We're now sinners saved by grace. Sinners saved by grace. I said we're now 
we're not currently in the state of sinners, but our testimony is that we're sinners saved by grace. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Let me ask you, is it possible to be saved by good works? What about a little bit of good works? What about mostly God and a little bit you? No, no. It, it, it's not possible to be saved by our good works. So let me ask you, how are we saved? By grace through faith. It's not just grace. It's how grace is accessed. Grace is accessed by our faith. And faith comes by hearing. That's why it's important for us to preach the gospel. Romans 6.15 says, Shall we continue in sin? Or what then? Shall we, con- shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. Let me ask you. Is it okay to practice sin since we're under grace? Well, wait. Your sin doesn't matter. It's the grace that does it. Should we continue in sin? No, certainly not. Right? That's like someone, you know, paying off your credit card and you were dead $20,000 on your credit card and then you're still using the credit card. Should, should we just go jump right back into it? Well, they'll pay it off. Well, they will pay it off, but that's not the point. The point's to get you out of bondage, to get you out of serving someone else, right? To get you free. Don't continue in sin that grace may abound. You'll just jump right back into bondage. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation appeared to all men. The question, by the way, is what does God's grace teach us? And I want you to, uh, to look at this. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. What does God's grace teach us? Does it teach us to sin? No, it teaches us to deny ungodliness and lusts. It teaches us to live soberly, righteously, and godly. When we're truly walking in the grace of God the way we're supposed to, we'll walk righteous and pure and holy and free in the Lord. Matthew 16, 24. Got two more. Matthew 16, 24. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Let me ask you, what do you need to do to truly follow Jesus? But how about I follow Jesus and keep my own life at the same time? Now, that's why he says repent and be baptized. Repent. Repentance is as big a deal as turning to Jesus. Denying, you can't serve two masters. It's not you shouldn't, you can't. You can't. We can't serve two masters. So what did he say? If you want to follow me, follow my plan, you have to deny yourself. You have a new coach now. You have a new director now. You have a new savior. And by the way, he's the savior and Lord, not just savior. We can't just accept him as our savior, but he's our savior and our Lord. Our Lord is the one who calls the shots, right? And and I promise his shots are better than our shots. (laughs) You may have taken a lot of shots in life, but, you know, but bad joke. Okay, it's a dad joke. It's Father's Day. But do you need, you need to truly follow Jesus. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ for good works, which God's prepared before and that we should walk in. Let me ask you, uh, now that we've been redeemed, now that we've been saved, now that, we've been, now that we're righteous, what were we created in Christ to do? Now that we're not going to take our time sinning, like someone said, well, if I don't have my job anymore, what am I going to do? with?" If you're not sinning anymore, what are you going to do? Well, what did he say? Look at it, but I want you to find it right out, not just an answer, but I want you to find it right out of the scripture. What are we going to do? Where is workmanship created in Christ... For what? Good works, which God is, are they any good works? Well, that was a good work. I'm making chocolate for the lady next door. Is that good works? It's good works, but no. They're created for good works, which God has gone before you and prepared and set it up. Like volleyball, you know, you have your, your, your person who sets it up. God sets you up, and he's ready for you to spike it over. He sets you up, which God's prepared. Don't just hit balls. Don't just do good things. But do the good things that God's prepared for you. Why? That you should walk in them. We now have something new. So today was from sin to salvation. I think I probably gave you 50 or 60 scriptures in there today. But listen, now let me tell you, it's not to overwhelm you. I cut about 50 or 60 scriptures out. What I want you to do is I want you to be able to disciple someone and take someone through these scriptures in the word. I want you to be able to let them see. Some people don't know why they need to be saved. They don't know why they need Jesus. They don't realize that judgment 
is going to happen at some point. Eternity is already in motion. We're only going to be on this earth for so long. Let me tell you why it's so important to me. Because many years I lived a Christian life guilty, feeling unworthy, feeling a sense of shame, feeling a sense that I wasn't good enough, feeling a sense of, I'm, I'm in, Lord, I'm in trouble. I don't know how to live for Jesus because I, I, I didn't know. I know he saved me. I know he's done so much for me. But I didn't know how to get above sin. I didn't know how to get above when I realized that it was Jesus who's already provided me the answer to be able to do that until I had a revelation of what salvation was. That's what we talked about today. I had a revelation of what salvation, what redemption was, what righteousness was. That I didn't have to provide my own righteousness. In fact, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for me that I might become the righteousness of God in him. And I remember I, I, I was so on the inside, self would self-shame myself and just say, Lord, I can't live for you. I want to, but I don't know how to. And I'd take scriptures, like these scriptures. I remember, uh, and in fact, I still do. Take these scriptures, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, say, Lord, I'm the righteousness of God in you. Not because of me, but because of you. And Lord, I'm a new creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, in Christ Jesus. Say that with me. I'm a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. And you feel like you're lying like a big dog. But let me tell you, you're not. Because that's what God said. I'm the righteousness of God. Say it with me. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. You may feel like, I don't feel righteous. No, it's not feeling. It's faith. It's not what you've provided. It's what he's provided. It's not how much you've jacked it up. It's how much he's repaired it. How much he's brought in and filled in the gaps. Amen? Remember confessing these scriptures. I'm seated in heavenly places. Just say it with me. I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Say, I've been made alive to sit in Christ. Say this, I'm more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8. I'm more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. And let me tell you, you have to defeat shame and guilt and sin. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I'll tell you who you are. You're righteous. You're righteous in Jesus. All of your sin has been washed away. Don't let the enemy beat you up over it anymore. Well, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. And if you did, I'd like to ask you to subscribe to our show. That way, the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. God bless you, and I'll see you next time on the Memphis Tabernacle Podcast.